Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Expediters podcast, where you can hear about front of mind topics in the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today's topic, the new age of automobility. The Benz Patent Motorwagen, built in 1885 by Carl Benz, is considered the world's first production automobile. And over the last 135 years, developments and breakthroughs in energy efficiency, accessibility, affordability, and power have not only changed and reinvented the vehicles we use today, but also how they're made, how they get serviced, and how we get them home. And being curious to know more, I have invited Karen Kinsella, Global Director of Automotive at Expeditors, to teach me a thing or two. Welcome, Karen. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, Squire. Great to talk to you. (laughs) Squire, thank you. I can't get over that. I love all the little fun nicknames. Chap, Squire, they are all very much appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) Great to speak with you today, Chris. Yeah. What's going on with you? What's uh, what's new in your life lately, aside from working from home? Well, working from home, battling through COVID. Yeah, there's a whole host of things. It's a good job we're in logistics. That's all I say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Who are you? And how did you get to where you are today um, dealing with the automotive vertical? Well, I've been working for... about I'm gonna I'm gonna make a confession here now Chris I've been working in automotive for over 30 years and it has changed dramatically I have to tell you um and since my time um in expeditors which is about six and a half years mm-hmm. obviously the world has changed um even in that short space of time um so I I came into the business um within our vertical um environment and, and maybe I give you a little bit of an overview about what we're doing in that vertical space because yeah. it's a term it's a term not just for people that stand up all day um, <laughs> but it's the, <laughs> it's it's the term that we give to a group of um industry experts I have to say we've been yeah. working in automotive we've got a, a, a very knowledgeable uh, team of people that talk about automotive 24 hours a day mm-hmm. Um, and we really provide the specialism within the sector that we call automotive and mobility um, mm-hmm. now. Um, and we're pivoting across all of our different business stakeholders. And we're, we're really, really front facing in front of our customers to translate what the industry requirements are back into the market leading solutions, for instance, that Expeditors offers. So it, the, the vertical term is something that the industry recognizes quite well. Right. When I think of pharmaceuticals, I'm thinking of um, refrigeration, special equipment and and, and protocols to make sure that various uh, medical medical supplies are getting to where they need to in the most safe manner possible. Um, Why does automotive has its own special kind of attention? Like what makes what makes you so special, Karen? Well, firstly, we all talk our own language. Mm -hmm. Um, So every industry has a whole host of acronyms. um, Mm -hmm. And each of those facets really, um, you know, if we're talking about a production environment, we'll talk about a line stop or um, the things that keep the industry awake. Um, So translating that language into quite a unique set of processes is really what we do. And that's why the, the industry is very complex. And what we do is we break down the barriers of the language and the terminology that the customers in the industry uses per se mm-hmm. and, and we put that back into you know our world mm. um, so we all love acronyms and, and our industry is no different <laughs> the, the whole industry is around the way that it responds to the customer's demand 
Um, so we use forecast data, we use that production demand, and that drives the supply chain. All of the suppliers, uh, the global suppliers scattered all over the world, um, they will all use that information in order to be able to deliver the right product at the right time. So that's that's talking about the just-in-time method of working, of course. Mm-hmm. So everybody is always balancing between efficiency, inventory, and obviously the adherence to, you know, that just-in-time um, process. Mm-hmm. And, it, and and this, the, the COVID period, if we take the COVID period, is, has really thrown everything 180 degrees because, of course, <laughs> and then you, yeah, you, you could have a supplier in Mexico, but your production facility is in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously what we've, what we've seen is, is, is that planning has really thrown everybody on its head because you may not necessarily get access to the parts that you need mm-hmm. in order to keep your production working efficiently. Um, COVID, for instance, 90% of all of the industry stopped at one point, which was a, a natural outcome to you know, what we had to face during that time. Um, and as we see different geographies restarting at different points, some parts were available, some parts weren't available. So manufacturers have really had to sh- really, really be agile through this period to, to make sure that they can keep their production and, and all of their parts around them when they need them. So we've seen a shift from just in time, for instance, Chris, to just in case. Um, and that's really pulled forward the whole industry to make sure that they can get access to what they need. Right. In case another shutdown has to happen or some kind of major, major disruption at a factory or manufacturer, uh, those parts that are needed will be available. Yeah. Yeah. Principally, um, that that means the 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 interaction between managing the the demand and the availability of those parts, mm-hmm. whether whether it's you know, through COVID related or just capacity constraints that we mm-hmm. see in the market, that's that's really thrown a lot of challenges. So, uh, you know, each of each manufacturer will balance what they need versus putting that security around them. Um, so we've seen a huge shift to just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows people to take out maybe a little bit of the, the risk mitigation. Mm-hmm. Because just in time sounds like it's it was a lot more spry, a lot more, um, I mean, lean essentially, right? To some extent, right? <laughs> there's no there's no need for uh, warehouse space, you know, because things are arriving just as you need them, um, and you don't have to store them anymore or worry about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, customers will always use you know warehouse on wheels mm-hmm. as as an example, and then <laughs> like supply. That. Yeah, supply chain engineering will then help. Um, yeah, you know, customers optimize their flows, and we're seeing a huge increase in the way that um, uh, you know customers that maybe have operated in a certain way for years and years have really been challenged through this. So it's been phenomenal to see how some manufacturers have really course corrected the way that they're working. Um, we also see through COVID, probably this will continue into 2021 until things start to stabilise. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really challenged, challenged our teams and, and everybody working in it to think differently. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually curious, and I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about COVID along with other challenges that I'll be facing. But while I have it at front of mind, the balance between just in time and just in case, do you feel like it's going to be something of a permanence? Like this was a big, these are lots of lessons learned. And so customers will be increasing how much they're holding um, or how much they're storing in order to be able to account for big disruptions like this. Or is it a just a temporary thing? Well, then once the dust settles and we can get back to normal, we'll kind of revert back to the just in time method. That great question. Um, I wish I had a magic wand. I, <laughs> I would, um, I would say we will probably see a reverse back to a just in time mm. over a period of time. But of course, the, the the buzzword that everybody is using at the moment is resiligency. So, right. yep. what what any manufacturer that works with. 200 to 450 to suppliers you only need mm-hmm. one part to stop production um so what they will do obviously is look at mitigating their risk and, and and this is the support i suppose is is giving the visibility of what's around them um uh, you know visibility is is the new buzzword that's come out of this if if you've got inventory around you mm-hmm. you want to know where anything is at any one time um and in, in terms of your, your original question is just in case um, going to continue, um, I would say yes. Um, a lot of companies are challenging their sourcing. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing a shift um, from maybe global sourcing to near sourcing. To take away that risk, um, a lot of companies are looking at how they can put their sourcing behaviours or sourcing patterns a lot closer to where that manufacturing consumption is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do that overnight. So you need to build your inventory and then perhaps look at alternative sourcing patterns to take away that ultimate supply chain risk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Going to, um, I mean, we've obviously covered uh, COVID quite a bit, and I think I have some more questions later on, but what are some other um, big disruptions that are affecting the automotive industry today? Well, the the industry um and this is this is also true of expediters we've rebranded um recognizing the shift in the industry has really transformed itself into what it's calling mobility mm-hmm. um so mobility is is effectively the movement or the transportation of people products um etc and a lot of the automotive market now is looking at mobility in a completely different way um Mm -hmm. and really that's underpinned by technology so the interaction of new vehicles that are coming into the market really are computer on wheels i mean everything that we see whether it's a truck or a passenger vehicle or even a a motorcycle or Mm e-bike it's all it's all underpinned by technology so we've seen in the past couple of years and notably within covid there has been a significant shift into the mobility space mm-hmm. and not it's only not just cars it's it's, no. it's anything with wheels at this point <laughs> a- absolutely and this is really really transformational it's very exciting to see the shift of a lot of you know traditional technology companies coming into the space of automotive mm-hmm. and that's really going to be the long change that we see in the future over the next three five ten years um i think one of the one of the areas as we see the emergence of technology not only in the new vehicles that are being produced of course that's transposed itself into the logistics landscape as well mm-hmm. um so a lot of companies that are working in that space 
um, are now looking at using the technology platforms, the technology tools that are available to them. And that has shifted us from what you would classify as a traditional frauder per se, into a digital, digital logistics. Yeah. It's developed its own um, terminology and its own little language that's going on in the industry, which is mm-hmm. also quite exciting. Um, so, you know, we're, we're working in the mobility space. Um, really, um, we are now seeing customers, uh, you know, the pursuit of real time is really everything that everybody is chasing at the moment. So coming back to what underpins the, the industry with that just in time, mm-hmm. uh, visibility is crucial. Visibility is the holy grail. In the last couple of episodes, I've been hearing digital forwarder, traditional forwarder, and they definitely approach things. Uh, one seems to be an evolution of another, but they're still servicing the same customers, more or less. How do both differ when they service the automotive industry or the automobility uh, industry? Well, let's let's take a, a look at the traditional forwarder. Their, their primary focus is moving product from A to B. And you are right, they will always exist. Um, the, the efficiency that they bring in moving product, there will, there will always be the requirement for A to B. In, in an automotive world, um, the material flow is crucial in order to be able to get those parts or those components to the right place at the right time. But what what is becoming even more apparent is the information flow. So you, you've got um, really the information flow and access to that data enables a customer to make decisions about their business at any one time. So we're seeing paramount importance is not only moving the parts and the material flow, as we call it, but also the information flow. And that's where digital forwarders come in. They provide that link and mm-hmm. they provide access to that information. Now, the, the, you will probably see a conversion of both of those environments. Um, expeditors, for instance, we we focus on the material flow and the information flow as equally important to a customer. Um, but you have you do have to have two distinct sectors that are setting themselves apart. One is, you know, we move your stuff. The other is we move your information. Mm. Um, I think the combination of both of those is is very very powerful to an automotive business. Moving your information, I um, an article that you had sent me over to me in preparation for this uh, talked a lot about startups. And one of the key things about startups um, as a new customer that is emerging in the automobility space is that they don't have uh, they seem to lack a lot of historical data that uh, a lot of the older, bigger uh, parties have. Um, when it comes to digital forwarders uh, using this information, how are they able to, um, I guess, bring startups up to speed? Yeah, um, so I think startups, not only with the type of product that they bring into market, which is mm. really, you know, a niche. If you look at, yeah, you know, one of the classic startups producing a new electric vehicle over 10 years ago, you would say Tesla was a was a disruptor in the market, whereas <laughs> you, you had traditional manufacturers already producing electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles sure, and yeah. using new fuel technology. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't new, but their approach to the whole manufacturing process was mm-hmm. as a technology company. And, and you are right, um, 
uh, the the agility that a startup needs, they they come to the market with no data, no historical mm-hmm. data. Um, so what they're looking for is is something very agile. Um, we would turn that as almost dynamic planning. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to take that customer demand. So you're walking into you know your dealership and you want your purple car with your yellow wheels and your orange steering wheel, Chris. Um, that <laughs> you know my taste so well. <laughs> there you go. And you could have a, tr- a trillion different varieties sure, sure. Um, of of those components. So that brings complexity to any manufacturer. So you, it's 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 going to be practically impossible to keep all of those parts at your disposal on the shelf nearby. Of course, so what yeah. you do is you you move into a dynamic planning mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so hence coming back down to the question of visibility, uh, access to data. Startups really are challenging the norm because um, they're not working in the same way that maybe a traditional forwarder did many years Mm -hmm. ago because of their appetite to using uh, technology in their logistics landscape, for instance. Um, The way that they do their planning, they they will really spin on its head um, the the use of that data. And they need to be very, very fluid Mm -hmm. um, because obviously a a, a startup is in, you know, cash is king. It's really vital for them fulfilling what goes onto the shelf or what they sell to a customer Mm -hmm. um, versus keeping that production line going. So what lessons have traditional forwarders or digital forwarders learned from startups that can impact or benefit more um, established or traditional auto manufacturers? Like we're obviously having to learn how to work with startups now. Is there are, are there any lessons being learned that we can then take to how we service other customers? Yeah, I would I would say a startup firstly um, requires a, a very consultative approach. Mm. Um, they require um, their business to be agile, as I've said, and and they will course correct very quickly. So mm-hmm. maybe they start off with um, a supply chain that looks like this today, but in three months or over six month period, it will look entirely differently. Um, so they need uh, to work with a partner that's very agile mm-hmm. um, and very consultative in its approach. Um, so I think one of the things that we've seen that the migration of the traditional OEM is they're looking at a startup and and fundamentally all of the the major manufacturers at the moment are changing to produce new vehicles and new models mm-hmm. um so they're changing their processes as well and they will actually have no data so similarly to a startup they will have no data to play with mm. nobody really can predict what that demand is going to look sure. like um so that probably there is going to be a you know a migration and a meeting of minds in the middle um but one of the things um certainly from a logistics point of view mm-hmm. um is everybody now recognizes that if you if you want to be agile if you need to be able to control where your production is and your inventory and how your suppliers respond to change in today's environment you you really, really need to rely on information flow. And that comes back down to that digital logistics. What would you say startups are looking for when it comes to a freight forwarder? Oh, so, well, there's various different types of startups, Chris. So let's have a look at what startups are bringing to the market. Um, You know, there's been a billions of investment in startups, either underpinned by um, uh, 
traditional manufacturers or mm-hmm. players that are coming into the market, but they're all, um, a, a, you know, applying to a niche in the market and, and they're putting in significant investments. So on the fact that a startup will come with no data, very mm-hmm. little history, right. um, they are most certainly looking for something which is um, agile in its approach. Um, so the ability to be able to flex is is going to be paramount to them. Um, what they start up looking like today will be completely different in six months. Um, and the, a, a technology company that really is 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 investing in um, new processes um, has put technology at the centre of everything they do. Um, so they are probably looking for a logistics partner that also has that same. Um, focus on technology or mm-hmm. digi- digital solutions, let's call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's certainly something that we're seeing with the new startup that's emerging in in our industry. Um, very very tech savvy, and a lot of these startups are coming from the technology space as well. What kind of compromises have startups have had to make in order to fit in line with um, traditional or digital forwarders and how we typically do things? When I when I think of startups, the processes aren't as cemented yet. The historical data is not there quite yet. So where are they, I guess, kind of pushed into areas where they may not be quite settled into? Um, well, I think that's where the experience um, comes from we we can help a, a startup for instance and um, a startup may me uh, may require um, support with suppliers um, mm-hmm. making sure that suppliers are shipping when they need to be shipped uh, to against a, a production demand uh, they they will need some support because otherwise you need to put lots of people in place around the world to make sure that things are moving as they should be doing. Um, so that oversight and the visibility of their supply chain becomes even more important for them. Um, so one of the things that a startup will require is support in establishing those processes um, to mitigate you know, the exceptions and to be able to make business decisions very, very quickly. Um, that's most certainly what startups are looking for. In what ways are we extending um, or exerting more effort to make these moves successful for our customers, be they the startups or the traditional forwarders? Um, well, let me answer that from an expedited perspective and also from a market perspective. Sure. Right, right. Um, you know, we, we've seen a whole host of new startups within our industry, for instance, which mm-hmm. are selling software solutions, which are selling platforms, mm-hmm. you know, digital solutions, um, which is which is fantastic. Um, it's it's an area that Expeditors invests in and has always invested in technology solutions for customers. Absolutely. Um, you know, we we offer part level visibility as a standard, I would say, to customers for many many years. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's it's how the customers use that information that they have access to, which is going to be the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic seeing a dot on the map, but unless you know you have a process to be able to react to that and you're working with a partner that helps you understand what that information needs, um, be it predictive analytics or, you know, we all use the word of, of, of big data. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of customers now are using that to drive their business decisions. Um, And I suppose that's where a lot of customers now are asking for information that they can use more in an analytical way. Um, Right, that puts us more in that consultative um, position. 
It does. It does. And it, it drives the industry more towards, you know, an Uber's word that's been used, um, you know, that digital twin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's taking us into a space that really nobody spoke about maybe five, ten years ago. Sure. And, and 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 all of that is dri- being driven by new digital solutions that we can offer to customers. You mentioned um, the expansion of from automotive into automobility. You you talked about scooters um, or e-bikes, sorry. So which, which means we've got electric vehicles now to think about. They're big batteries with wheels, you know, um, how, are, how is that changing things? Um, because from the training that I've done or little I know about it, you know, dangerous goods is, is something that needs a lot of care and attention. And I'm assuming moving these big batteries around with wheels is going to require some special attention or some evolution in process on the automotive side uh, when we um, service our customers. So what kind of changes are you seeing with that? Yeah, well, so so let's I'll, I'll step back a slightly and um, when mm-hmm. we talk about mobility, that so there's four components that we classify within mobility, and it's called Aces, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't a card game. This is um, <laughs> what we term as autonomous, uh, connected, electric and shared and okay. obviously the e signifies electric but really it you know it lends itself to alternative fuels sure um, and what we've seen um is a shift in consumer demand you know where people live um how they buy you know they buy online um also the view that customers have about ownership um, you know, the, the ownership of a vehicle is mm. no longer a primary goal. You can get access to moving yourself and, and also your product in, in completely different ways. Um, so that's really born itself into what we call, mo- you know, mobility um, solutions. Um, and I would say the, the the shift to electric has come around because, um consumers are having more access to information they're becoming more environmentally aware of course mm-hmm. and it's 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 building a new generation mm-hmm. um i don't i don't know let me ask you a question sure. would you would you purchase would you purchase your car because it was the cheapest or would you put, purchase a car because it has the lowest emission oh gosh i mean i'm a millennial it's going to be both <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> There you go, and yeah. and and I, and I think this is this is what we're seeing. People people are becoming more aware, yeah, um, yeah and they absolutely. and they want to see that they're making an impact. Now, obviously, that has uh, there is a cost to that, and producing technologies such as uh, electric vehicles has a different uh, a different cost to that. But as as the market expands, um, the cost will reduce. Um, a huge component of um, you know driving an electric vehicle, um, whether that's a a shared vehicle or one that you're going out and buying, Mm -hmm. is the ability to be able to charge it. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, not not everybody has the luxury of having a charging point at home, for instance. Or if you go on a journey and you're calculating that journey, you know at some point that you may have to refuel. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're seeing now the ability to be able to choose an electric vehicle is becoming more and more evident as charging infrastructures um, are coming into place. Um, this is this is developing its own industry in itself. The energy companies are coming into this, which is quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you've got a, a whole new cluster of businesses that are coming into play. 
um, as well as the looming threat of legislation, because mm. obviously a lot of governments are, you know, are now using this as as one of their policies in in order to be able to drive this change forward. So manufacturers are responding extremely well. And then coming down into our world, mm-hmm. um, moving batteries is probably the most complex product that you can think of. Um, <laughs> and, and slapping wheels on them makes it even more complex. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, you know, the, the, there are various different um, types of components that go into producing, um, you know, a battery. Lithium is one of them. Um, and this is probably the most one of the most tightly controlled from a, an airline's perspective or an ocean carrier. Yeah. Um, they most definitely will want to, make sure that the compliance and the security of all of their customers is not put at risk because of a risk of a fire due to a a battery, for instance. So there are very strong industry guidelines to keep Mm -hmm. all customers safe um, and move this type of product. Um, The the awareness about moving this type of dangerous good um, probably fluctuates. Um, And this is one of the things that we do as a vertical team is make sure that we bring this to the head so customers are aware of their responsibility and account and also mm. ours as a, a logistics company. So yeah, it's, it's a throw, throw COVID into moving batteries and it's quite exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely keeps you on your toes. I imagine a lot of sleepless nights and sleepful nights for you here and <laughs> yeah. there. There's no, there's yeah. no regularity <laughs> at all. <laughs> there's no regularity, but, but it, it, it is, it, I, I mean, Quite honestly, Chris, this is this is quite exciting to see. The forecast that we see for you know the next generation is forty percent of vehicles will have you know a battery of some yeah. sort. There will be for sure new developments to eliminate maybe the component of lithium, and that's already you know something that manufacturers are looking at that research and development to to eliminate that. But, but you know the world that we're living in now um, is is making people aware that moving batteries is is not as simple as no. <laughs> just moving something from A to B. Right. And the government controls that are involved, too, can definitely complicate those things and make it that much more of a challenge to make it accessible and, and affordable and, and, and all that. Yeah, yeah, very, very exciting. Um, and then the next, obviously, with the battery directive, um, that yeah. will throw us into a, a completely different conversation that we can talk about recycling. Um, mm. Because, um, you know, where we look at the industry a couple of years ago, the recycling of lithium batteries was you know, close to 2%. And we do see wow. that this is this is now going to build, you know, also consumer awareness. And, Absolutely. And, 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 and obviously, you know, there will be certain legislation and regular, regulatory controls that are put into place to make sure that you recycle safely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so many countries that are making announcements around goals to become... Um, carbon neutral or, or reducing emissions as much as possible. I imagine that's going to affect the automotive industry. That's going to affect, you know, how many cars are um, out on the streets and, and what kind of vehicles will be out there. Uh, sounds like you've got a lot of fun things to consider <laughs> coming yeah. your way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look forward to 2021. And yeah, um, yeah quite exciting. But it was uh, it was good to talk about some of these topics with you today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one last thing, I guess, uh, Sounds like there's a lot to think about on your side and you're uh, constantly learning and, and the, as the industry is evolving. What helps you sleep at night when it comes to working in automobility? Well, regardless of whether what the vehicle looks like, we will all 
we will all still be moving, whether it's on two wheels, three wheels or four wheels. And um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think, you know, people sometimes talk um, negatively or positively, but I'm I'm excited about a future where the next generation of vehicles will be lifted off the ground. And then, <laughs> and then we'll be talking to our aviation team, yeah, right. um, <laughs> yeah, you know, because this is, you know, this is not probably not so far away yeah. um maybe not in my generation but um certainly it's it's quite exciting so i like the challenge of um evolution and i think our industry is at the forefront of of this and um, so I, it's it's great to be part of it so yeah. Yeah, apart from that, I, I sleep quite soundly. So thank you for asking. <laughs> Dreaming for the future. I like that. Uh, if people want to um, reach out to you or find you, where's the best place that they can uh, get in contact with you to learn more about this stuff? Through normal media channels, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, expeditors, contact, LinkedIn, um, etc. We've got um, teams across the world spread in every geography. So mm-hmm. all of our teams would be really happy to have the same type of conversation. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Karen. It was really fun to uh, chat about this and to chat with you. Oh, fantastic, Chris. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expediters, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expeditors.com. Take care and I'll see you next time.